So as Jed said, we're reading from 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning at verse 13. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God. Good morning, everyone. It's great to see you all. <clears throat> over, the, uh, over the last two Sundays, uh, Reuben has uh, started our series of sermons from this book of 1 Peter. And uh, much of that so far has focused on the glorious salvation that we have freely received in Jesus. My friends, we are God's elect, chosen by him, to be born again through belief in Christ, the crucified and risen. And we are now shielded by God's power. And we are now promised an eternal inheritance kept in heaven for us. And that leads us to love him and to trust him and to rejoice in him. And the glory of this salvation is what sustains us, even as we live as exiles in this world, suffering grief in all kinds of trials, which prove the genuineness of our faith. And if you missed those first two message, then I, messages, then I want to urge you this morning to go back and listen to them, because they were great. But now Peter is moving on to something else. He moves on to what happens to us after we have been overtaken and renewed by this glorious salvation. And at the very heart of that is the concept of holiness. In verse 15 and again in verse 16, we find the key imperative, the key instruction for us to take home from this passage, and that is that we are called to be holy. Let's notice right up front that the calling is not to look holy, it is not to act holy, it is not even to occasionally do things which are holy, but our calling, my friends, is to be holy. Holiness is what the Lord himself has called us to. It's at the very core of our existence. 
It's at the very centre of all that we do. It is the very heart of what we are. So what is this holiness? Well, Peter already gave a hint way back in verse 2 when he said that we have been chosen to be obedient to Jesus Christ. And in our text in verse 14, he describes us as obedient children who do not conform to the evil desires that we once had. And in verse 17, he speaks of how we now live in reverent fear of our God. You see, holiness begins with an utterly serious and sincere devotion to God's Word. For we know that in His Word, the Lord Himself reveals to to us His, His heartfelt desires for His people. How He longs for us to live and conduct ourselves in this world. And holiness grows through the powerful work of God's Spirit. For there is a reason why He is called the Holy Spirit. Because His role is to stir our minds and to move our hearts and to strengthen our wills so that we can increasingly live out the truth of God's Word. And so holiness is about us being separated, separated from the perversities of this world and from the temptations of the devil and from the wicked ways in which we used to live. And it's about us pursuing growth in in morality and in purity and in godliness, striving to be the people God has called us to be. Holiness is about us absorbing God's Word and keeping in step with God's Spirit in such a way that our very souls are transformed into something outstanding and beautiful in this world. But yet this issue of holiness comes with some problems, doesn't it? And I want to mention three of those. First of all, there's the problem of guilt. For some people, the very mention of God's commands and the need to obey them, it makes them miserable and frustrated and even annoyed. And that's because, to their credit, they they take these things very seriously. And as a result, they're painfully aware of their own failings. But the problem, you see, is that somewhere deep inside, they've, they've convinced themselves that unless they meet a certain standard of behaviour, then God will be displeased with them. Or God will even be angry with them. Or God may even remove His salvation from them. And can I just say that this way of thinking has been long reinforced by certain churches and certain preachers who have thoroughly laid out our biblical responsibilities and skillfully reminded us of how far we fall short and then recklessly left us without any hope. And so we can be racked with guilt. A second problem is the problem of apathy. For there are other Christians who who don't take these things 
seriously at all. Of course, they're aware of the Bible's commands and instructions and warnings, and they definitely wouldn't murder anyone or rob a bank or abuse a child, but yet there's so many other things that they would do without reflection, remorse or repentance. Despite God's clear commands, they wouldn't hesitate to disrespect their parents. They wouldn't hesitate to participate in sexually immoral language or music or porn. They wouldn't hesitate to ignore the governing authorities whom God has put in place. They wouldn't hesitate to gossip or to slander or discourage. They wouldn't hesitate to put worldly possessions and pleasures above God and his church and his mission. They wouldn't hesitate to go along with the crowd on any issue that's controversial. They wouldn't hesitate to be self-righteous, defensive and proud. And the reason is because they've decided that God doesn't really care. They've decided that God accepts their need to fit in and doesn't actually want them to stand out. They've decided that God will forgive them no matter what and so everything's okay. And thus, when it comes to holiness, their attitude is apathy. But the third thing I want to mention is the problem of of being overwhelmed. For even if your issue is not guilt and your issue is not apathy, you can yet feel crushed by the weight of God's law. You see, it's quite easy for me to stand here and say that we're called to holiness, but you know just as well as I do that the reality of living that out 24-7 is really difficult. As Peter says in chapter 5, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And this world we live in is constantly pandering to our weaknesses and our lusts. And every fibre of our own being is longing to give in to the evil pleasures that tempt us. And as a result, you fall into sin and then you repent and you fall again. And, And you can reach a point where you just seem to come to a standstill or you even feel like you're going backwards and you you start doing things that you once never would have done and you start indulging in the very acts that once repulsed you and you realise just how difficult, just how overwhelming it is to genuinely live a holy life. These are three serious problems that we can face when it comes to holiness, guilt, apathy and feeling overwhelmed. But I want to say to you this morning that all of these can be helped and even overcome if only we would approach holiness with the right motivation. And my friends, that's what Peter's addressing here in this passage. He's not going into any great detail about what holiness is, but rather he is telling us what should motivate us, what should inspire us, what should compel us to willingly and joyfully embrace holiness for ourselves. And again, there are three main things that he says. 
In verses 13 and 14, Peter says that when it comes to holiness, we should be motivated, first of all, by the wonder of grace. I mean, our whole passage begins with the word, therefore, immediately connecting it to the glorious salvation described in the first part of the chapter. A salvation that verse 10 calls the grace that was to come to you. And so already in this opening word, there is a line drawn, grace leads to holiness. But in verse 13, Peter goes on to say, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. And then verse 14 says that flowing out of this grace, as obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. In other words, our obedience, our morality, our holiness should be motivated not by duty, not by shame, not by guilt, but by the very grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. But that doesn't happen by accident. Peter explains that we should have minds that are alert and fully sober. The first part of this phrase literally means to gird up the loins of our minds, alluding to the way that people of that day would would gather up their robes and tie them around their waists when they were getting ready for action. It's a bit like us saying today, roll up the sleeves of your mind. And the second part of the phrase means to be clearly focused. It doesn't just mean be sober in the sense of unaffected by alcohol, but unaffected by anything that could cloud your thinking. And so Peter is saying there's no room here for dull, senseless ignorance. There's no room here for for reading your Bible and sitting in church week after week and claiming to be a Christian, but never really thinking deeply about what it all means. Peter says we need to make an active, focused and determined effort to concentrate our minds on the grace of God. But I wonder how often do we truly do that? My friend, how often do you really stop and think about where you would be without Christ? Imagine life without his love, his forgiveness, his guidance, his protection, his purpose. Imagine death without his mercy and without his promises. Do you ever dare to even peek at the utter torment and desolation of hell and honestly admit to yourself that that's what you deserved 100%. And my friend, how often do you really, really stop and think about how almighty God, for no good reason that we could ever explain, chose us to be rescued, justified, blessed in every possible way. How often do you contemplate how he gave us not just what we didn't deserve, but in fact the very 
opposite of what we deserve. How often do you dwell on the way that he has lifted you out of your misery and has filled you with peace and with hope and with joy? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. Through many dangers, toils and snares, I have already come. His grace has brought me safe thus far. And grace will lead me home. Oh, my friends, I put it to you today that if we have even just begun to comprehend the magnificent glory of God's grace to us in Jesus, then we will never see the call to holiness as a bother or a burden but rather as the most natural and fitting response that there could ever be to the divine love that has been lavished upon us. I ask you, how could we continue to conform to those evil desires that we had lived in, when we lived in ignorance? How could we not long to show our deepest gratitude by striving to live for our Lord? How could we not respond to the mercy of our Saviour by embracing His call on our lives? My friends, when it comes to holiness, then surely our first motivation is the wonder of grace. But as if that isn't already enough, Peter adds more in verses 15 to 17. For there he says, But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. And so our second motivation to pursue holiness is the holiness of our Lord. Peter's telling us here that we should also give our attention to the God who made us, who saved us and, and, and who cares for us. And we should remember that he himself is utterly holy. He is unequivocally good. He is perfect in every way. He is totally without sin of any kind. And I'm not going to say too much about that because Reuben is going to have an entire message about that this afternoon at five o'clock, the holiness of God. But Peter's point is that if God is holy, then we also should strive to be holy. But what's the logic here? I mean, on the surface, it's a little bit like me saying, buy yourself a blue car because I've got a blue car. It doesn't seem like a particularly compelling argument, does it? Why should we be holy just because God is holy? Well, for a start, we need to remember, my friends, that if holiness is an attribute of God, then holiness is the very best quality that we could ever aim for. I mean, if we know the absolute magnificence of the Lord, 
then how could we not want to be like him? How could we aim any lower? How could we settle for anything less? It's like me saying, buy yourself a blue car because I've got a blue car, but I say it because for some reason blue cars are far and away the best cars you ever could have. The more we learn to value and honour and worship the holiness of our God, the more we will be compelled to be holy just as he is. But remember also that if holiness is an attribute of God, then holy is what we were always created to be. After all, were we not created in God's image right at the beginning. And while that image was tragically shattered in the fall, through Christ, it is now being renewed and restored in us. So the more we're renewed, the more holy we become. And the more holy we become, the more we will experience life as it is truly meant to be. Friends, people may fool themselves into thinking that the best life is one of indulgence and immorality, decadence and debauchery. But believe you me, the best life, the best life is the one that lines up with the character and will of the God who made us. But a final thing to remember is that if holiness is an attribute of God, then holiness is needed for us to truly have a relationship with him. And isn't that the ultimate blessing of salvation? To know the Lord, to have an intimate bond with our Heavenly Father. Let me explain it like this. Every Christian alive knows that the further you fall into the pit of sin... And the more you let it control you, the further away you feel from the Lord. You feel out of tune with Him. You feel a coldness between you. You find it harder and harder to pray. You lose your passion for the gospel. You start to experience doubts and you start to resent the church. But every Christian also knows that in those times when you are, when you are fighting temptation and you're repenting of your failures, and you're striving with all your might to live a godly life, that at those times the Lord feels so close, and your faith feels so strong, and your soul is on fire for Him. My friends, if you want to grow in your relationship with God, then seek to be holy, just as He is holy. You know, there's not a lot of room for apathy in these verses, is there? I mean, how could you possibly claim to know the Lord and then live as though He doesn't care about holiness? How could you possibly claim to know the Lord and then live no differently to your worldly mates with the same priorities and the same standards and the same excesses? If you did, then I suppose you'd have to question whether you really know the Lord at all. So what's the right motivation for holiness in our lives? 
Well, first of all, the wonder of grace. And secondly, the holiness of our God. But there's one more. For Peter concludes by telling us that we should also be motivated by the cost of our redemption. Listen again to verses 18 to 21. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. My friends, these verses remind us that our salvation is no small thing. It wasn't as though God in his holiness could, could simply overlook our sin and rebellion. It wasn't as though, even as though God could take account of our sin and rebellion, but then simply decide to erase the debt. For our perfectly holy God is also perfectly just. And so for our debt to be forgiven, it needed to be paid. And Peter reinforces that even the most valuable resources of this earth, even all the silver and all the gold would never, ever be enough. For how could mere perishable goods pay the price for eternal souls such as ours? And so our debt could only be paid by a person like us, but with no sin of their own. Our debt could only be paid by a person who could bear the weight of that enormous punishment that should have been ours. Our debt could only be paid by a person who was willing to die so that we could live. And so Peter reminds us that we have been saved with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect, chosen from the beginning to die for our sake, chosen that we might believe and be saved. My friends, never forget that the almighty and eternal Son of God willingly took on our human flesh, lived upon our earth, and in the end suffered, was tortured, and was crucified to make atonement for us. You know, it's, it's just so incredibly easy for us to forget the true gravity of this. We can forget that every one of our transgressions caused him pain. But how could we be flippant about that? How could we sin without thought and without remorse? And so I urge you, when you think about God's calling on your life to pursue holiness, then never forget the precious blood of Christ. When you feel overwhelmed by temptation, never forget 
the precious blood of Christ. When you start thinking that a little bit of sin won't matter because you can be forgiven anyway, then never forget the precious blood of Christ. My friends, may we be inspired and motivated to holiness by the cost of our redemption. So in conclusion, we we have thought today about how the Lord calls on us to be holy. Not to look or act holy, but to be holy at the very core of who we are. And so we're called to devote ourselves to God's Word, being carried along by God's Spirit as we seek more and more to put our old ways behind us and to live according to His will. And my friends, we all know that it isn't easy. We can be filled with guilt. We can slide into apathy. We can be stifled as we feel overwhelmed. But I sincerely hope that that every one of us here today has seen that we need to approach holiness with the right motivation. Peter urges us to consider the wonder of grace and to consider the holiness of our Lord and to consider the cost of our redemption. And may these be our true impetus, our true motivation. For when they are, my friends then we will find that striving for holiness is no longer a burden, but it is a joy. It will feel like the most natural response of gratitude to the richest blessings we have ever received. And we will realize that this is the very life that we have been chosen for, been made for. It is a beautiful life that stands out as a witness in this world, a marvellous life that draws us ever closer to our Lord. Amen. Let's pray. And dear Lord God and loving Heavenly Father, we pray this morning, give us minds that are alert and fully sober, that we may truly set our hope on your grace. Father, help us to conceive of your perfect holiness. And and Father, we pray that, that we might see how we are being restored in your image. Father, we pray, please enable us to grasp how we have been redeemed, not by gold or silver, but by the precious blood of Christ. And Lord, we ask that even this morning, that these things might compel us to look at our own lives and to consider whether we are truly and sincerely striving to live a holy life for you. Lord, please convict us, please change us, please strengthen us that we might know you better and that we might experience that glorious life that you have chosen us for. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.